Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, Chris, who have we got on the show today? So today, Peter, we have probably a first for, for Dig It. We have our first social media influencer who happens to be a rather good gardener. Okay. Uh, his name is Michael Perry, a.k.a. Mr. Plant Geek. Okay. And, uh, yeah, if you are on your socials, uh, so if you're on Instagram, Twitter, you probably will have come across Michael uh, in, in that format everywhere and everywhere. He's a, he's a popular chap um, promoting horticulture to everyone. He's a very positive character. I, mm. I like him. And the imagery on his... Um it's not a website, is it? On so, Instagram and mm, those sort of things. Sorry, so, you'll have to forgive me, audience. I, I'm I'm in, in the dinosaur era. I'm not into all this social media stuff. But yeah, I, I have actually Googled mm, him and I've mm-hmm. um, done some, a little bit of research and he's got some beautiful images and some. he clearly has a great passion for plants, doesn't he? Oh, most definitely. Um, and that comes through, on, as you say, on all his socials and on his website too. And uh, he's a very accomplished writer, does a, a really good biog. He also, also shares a, a rather good um, podcast as well called the the Plant uh, Base Podcast with a lady called Ellen Mary. So he's, okay. he's very much out there. And uh, it would be really interesting to find out how he, he became this, uh, this, this sort of media... Um, media guru, guru is that yeah, what they're think, called these days guru yes fantastic but at the end of the day with with plants very much at his heart so on today's dig it we chat to to michael perry michael where do we find you today uh i'm just in my apartment in west london hoping that it will be sunny because it has not been sunny for like i don't know it feels <laughs> like it hasn't been sunny since last september and it's just still so cold what's happening it's nearly may guys honestly <laughs> yesterday i had a frost now there's been a running joke between chris and i uh, oh. this year about how my well i'm still waiting for my bluebells to come into flower um i, I think yeah. i'm living in a frost pocket <laughs> at the moment in northampton and it's yeah it, 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 it was a frosty other morning so yeah. it, it's still frosty up north as well i'm afraid but tell us uh, what mike michael what was your earliest garden some memories of gardening Mm. it was really gardening with my grandparents and I I often think if my grandparents were into something else would I have picked up on that instead of gardening because when you're a kid you end up spending a lot of time with your grandparents you know they're babysitting or you want to go there at the weekends etc etc and for me they were growing lots of chrysanthemums dahlias they were exhibiting at local flower shows as well they were also judging shows, so they really had a great know-how they were selling plants at the market as well so it really was just memories of my grandparents big garden taking over my parents garden as well mm-hmm. early failures but also lots of successes and just yeah just knowing that was my passion and not imagining that I would have anything else in my life that would be more popular than it almost yeah <laughs> excellent and uh, so can you sort of go back Michael and sort of pinpoint the actual age you started actually growing plants oh that's a really good question i guess i was growing with my grandparents from the younger stage so i guess you'd say four or five so helping to pot on and and it wasn't long until i had that patch in my parents garden which must have been seven or eight years old certainly we were we were growing runner beans at school on the windowsill but i was already growing stuff at home even before then so yeah it was really um yeah, uh, very early stage, I'd say. Yeah, excellent. At the moment, I've um, got a, well, Jack's beanstalk is currently growing on, <laughs> on my windowsill. <laughs> my son's five, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's a brilliant thing when you can get involved in growing plants, and even when it's just mustard and cress and things like that. It, it, I, I used yep. to find it fascinating, sort of seeing the little seeds germinating and um, turning into plants. It was it was great fun, wasn't it? And I understand you're now a little bit more interested in herbs. Yeah, well, actually, I was, when I was a kid, I guess I was enjoying growing the plants, but also started to get very interested in the fact that you could use them. I was a kid who was always up to the health food shop as well and just trying different things. And I think when I was then growing the plants, I was then trying to make all sorts of herbal concoctions. When I was a teenager, I actually 
I, I was selling plants myself at the WI market, but I also specialized in herbs and I started selling them mail order for a few years as well. Oh, wow. I had a little herb called Springfield Herb Nursery. Yep. I had a photocopy in my bedroom, like a weird thing for a kid to spend their pocket money on, a photocopy of a... Why not? <laughs> my catalogs. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was fun. Like, don't be too impressed. It was only ever about 20 orders maximum, but it was really a cool way that I was, I was always making money from plants, so I never had any pocket money. And the herbs were a particular interest to me because, of course, so many different uses kind of, I just used to find it fascinating that you could do this stuff with plants. And it still fascinates me to this day as well, you know, walking in the in the wild foraging or, you know, growing my own herbs and seeing what companies like Urban Herbs do because I can see that kind of passion that I had kind of, you know, still there at the age that we are as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. herbs are a real kind of spotlight area for me. And what were you doing with the herbs? Were you cooking with them at all or were you, you know, just enjoying the smells and... What was I doing? I remember trying to make eucalyptus mouthwash once. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Did that go well? <laughs> I remember grinding down some dandelion roots to make some alternative coffee. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the first book I had about herbs was actually a Jekka book. Okay. And that was the one that I really I poured over. Because in those days, we, we, of course, didn't have the internet. You'd have a book that you really, it, it became really tired because you would thumb through it almost every day, kind of you reading and rereading and kind of testing out this recipe and that. And yeah, and it was that Jekka book. So dandelion coffee, eucalyptus mouthwash, lavender biscuits. And yeah. started to sell those at the WI market as well. So yeah, it was really kind of experimenting with different flavors and different stuff you could use yourself. And it was always, it still is fascinating to me now. No. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I mean the, the herbal yeah. entrepreneur, Michael. If any of there was one, um, how did <laughs> how, how did that sort of decide your venture into gardening as a as actually a career? Yeah, well, I, I guess that's kind of a long story. I mean, when I was at school, it it wasn't the cool thing to be into plants, so I kind of hid that from my school friends. It yeah. kind of came a bit unstuck when I started working on the school garden, which was then at the front of the school that everyone saw. But anyway, I still was spending weekends kind of sorting out my shed, my greenhouse, not doing anything that normal kids would do necessarily. Um, I wasn't very confident, so I got to the end of school and I really wasn't sure what the options were. I knew that I wanted to do something with plants, but to be honest, I wasn't that confident to even know what that could look like as a career. So I kind of fell into going to Horticultural College, which was, not necessarily a bad thing, but in those days, it was where they sent you when they couldn't think what else to do with you. Okay. So I went to college for two years, national diploma, which was really good, but very general. Lots of stuff that I, that I certainly don't use now and lots of stuff that I didn't have a skill for, like driving a tractor or, well, stopping a tractor. I drove <laughs> over so many low balls that it's not even funny. Um, so yeah, two years of college. And got to the end of that. And again, I, I still wasn't a very confident, confident boy. And so I wasn't thinking I could go to university and kind of, you know, blend myself into that environment. So I was really lucky that I opened up the newspaper one day. There was a competition to design a garden at Thompson & Morgan, which is a company you'll know in Suffolk, mm-hmm. where I live. And I put together a design, which was really basic, but it was filled with plants that were raised in the Suffolk area. So it had a kind of marketing spin to it. And I won the competition. I didn't win a pri- I didn't win a job, but I won a greenhouse and a hundred pound of seed. Oh, and wow. then afterwards, I just wrote Thompson and Morgan and asked for a job. And I was taken on as an apprentice. And that is really kind of uh, the rest is history there. Excellent. And which horticultural yeah. college did you go to? It was Otley, which I believe is now called Eastern uh, Eastern Otley in Excellent. Suffolk, just above Ipswich. Yeah, I, I fondly remember my days where, it, yeah, a bit like you, sort of learnt to do things that I've yeah. never done since. And uh, I think my favourite one was um, laying uh, laying patio slabs. Is um, still something I intend to learn <laughs> to use one day. <laughs> I think I think my uh, my worst um, area of horticulture was arboriculture, and I remember climbing this tree um, uh, and forgetting the knot to get me da- back down again. <laughs> 
absolutely horrendous. I will never live that down. Well, I'll live it down. I did get down somehow or other, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So arboriculture is definitely off my uh, my my criteria when it comes to uh, horticulture. And you mentioned you won the competition at Thompson and Morgan. How did you manage to get a job there? Well, I just wrote in because even though even though I was so so shy when I was younger, I was really happy to write to people and ask for things and. Yeah, and I just, um, like I said, I won the competition. There was a presentation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then two weeks after, I just wrote a letter. I think it was handwritten in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't, you know, email didn't exist then. So uh, I just basically said, are there any opportunities? Uh, the horticultural manager at the time brought me in for an interview, such a shy little boy still. And I kind of, you know, obviously impressed them with my uh, keenness, I guess, in plants. Yep. And I started... I, started like almost like two weeks after this so i i'd actually got to the end of college and really that there was no plan for me i wasn't i wasn't kind of confident enough to go to uni like i said and i just wasn't sure what i could do so it's really good that this kind of uh happened in that way and it was really a dream job from day one because i was going out with the horticulture manager looking for new plants kind of following up leads uh in those days we'd bring a lot of new plants from customers at home as well so I think even in my first month, I had to fly to Scotland to collect a star-shaped petunia. Uh, we drove to London to get a black flower delphinium. Uh, I, I'd never been abroad at that point as well, so I went to Holland on the first business trip, which was my first trip overseas when I was 18, looking at field trials. So, yeah, it was really a, always a dream job, you know, even across 18 years, an amazing job. Fantastic. That's good. And, and Michael, obviously, um, Thompson and Morgan were well well known for their huge amount of publicity with the Tom Tata, wasn't it? So I remember this yeah. breaking. And I think I was uh, I was going on holiday, and we were waiting in the airport lounge, and we got all the newspapers, and it was splattered across all the newspapers. Uh, your, your your good self photographed with this quite bizarre image of a, a potato and a tomato plant, basically attached at the roots. Um, yeah, and I think that was about 2013, uh, yeah, 2013, wasn't it? So that's, well, gosh. That's I'm not good. sure. You're, yeah, you're telling me that. yeah, t- yeah <laughs> it could be up to 10-year anniversary. Um, yeah, which is crazy. Um, what, you know, looking back, for because obviously that must have been a big thing for yourself. Um, any sort of memories and uh, recollections of, of that uh, pr- promotion? Yeah, so um, I guess I started off at Thompson Morgan working on the seed side of the company. At the same time, the young plant side was really kind of growing. So I kind of gravitated more towards there and started working with uh, Paul Hansel in particular on a lot of exciting new products. And one of those was to really revive the Tom Tato because this is a graph that's always been possible. You know, it was done during war times, sometimes even with more mature plants. But we wanted to bring it to a commercial audience. So putting a really good quality tomato, uh, getting the cropping times right as well. So yeah, we brought it, we released it. We kind of knew um, when you release new plants, you know, if you release a new pink geranium, you're not really going to get the interest of the press. It needs to be a wow factor. And so Tom Tato obviously did that. I was kind of growing at the same time. Well, kind of Paul was pushing me into kind of being in the media and doing like press work because at the end of the day, I was the guy going out, finding the plants, kind of developing the new plants. So I was the best guy to talk about those plants. So with the Tom Tate, that was really the, I think that was the first baptism of fire when it came to that. (laughs) Or or maybe actually the release of the Black Hyacinth may have came first because my first TV appearance was on the Alan Titchmarsh show. And that was with uh, Midnight Mystic, the Black Hyacinth. So I think that might have been the year before Tom Tate. But either way, these kind of new products were really pushing me into the media world where at first I was really, you know, lacking confidence. But over the years, kind of, you know, Paul really pushed me into stuff. And I really, that's why I say yes to everything now, even when it scares me, because you, you, you can probably do it anyway, you know. And that is certainly what happened with Black Hyacinth, Tom Tato, right through to the Egg and Chips plant, all of those cool plant releases that we did over the years. And, and they're the ones that get the headlines and bring in people from different uh, kind of interest spheres mm. as well, you know. When we released the Egg and Chips plant, it was teenagers that would go mad for it on Twitter. You know, they're not going to go mad for a new or a dahlia. So it was a it was a new demographic each time, and that is what has fascinated me since breaking into those separate kind of 
areas where people would usually be interested in plants, but suddenly you've got them hooked. It's amazing. Well, that is definitely, it is, I should imagine, very gratifying for you. And with the tomato, have you ever eaten the potatoes or used it for a, a meal? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a natural potato brava, ketchup and fries. The plant was actually marketed as ketchup and fries in um, in the US, actually. Okay. But it wasn't, you know, it's not so easy as just grafting, you know, this on the top. You have to get a good cropping tomato that obviously is sooner than yep. the potato as well. And also, like, when we got into this further, we did the overshoot on the top, for example. We needed to send them off for toxicology tests as well because, of course, you know, some of Solanaceae have toxins in. So we had all of these different, different tests done here and there. So it was all kind of signed off and cool. Um, just as I left, they were starting to experiment with petunia on top of potato. But that is quite difficult because the petunia is far too vigorous and you're not getting many potato b- below ground. But it's something that you can easily just play around with at home. Mm-hmm. And even last summer, it's some potato grafts at home. Right. You, it, it's so easy. You can do it with sellotape. Honestly, you don't have to be a skilled grafter whatsoever. It's really, really fun to try at home. Well, Steve Bradley introduced us last month to the yeah. idea of um, doing cuttings like this, and I, I was fascinated by it because I've, I've come across hardwood cuttings, but the actual sort of softwood one that or soft, what, what do you call them, Chris? Are they? Yes, yes, yeah, so, yeah, softwood cuttings and and, and softwood, yeah, um, and then the different type of scion grafts and such like, which yeah. we discussed. Yeah, uh, really interesting. Yeah, so, uh, going to look into that some more. Okay, um, so Michael, what sort of happened next on your your career journey? Uh, so you, you you parted company with Thompson and Morgan to go on to a, a freelance career. Am I, am I right in thinking? Yeah, well, I didn't um, I didn't leave for any bad reason or kind of even even through being bored, but kind of just wanting some new experiences. And I mm-hmm. think it was probably about seven years ago now. And I think this was the point where social media had started a few years before, and kind of the the kind of horticultural sphere was changing a little bit. So there was a lot of newer companies starting, kind of a lot of a different buzz around horticulture. You know, a lot of us think it started in 2020, but it actually started, you know, kind of even four years before then. So, yeah, I could see different opportunities around. Like being a Thompson was great, but obviously the it becomes very cyclical. You know, you're introducing new products, you know, so-and-so a year, kind of visiting, kind of, yeah, I was looking to have a kind of mixed portfolio of work myself. And I started to pick up some work quite quite easily, really, with Seedball, who was starting to obviously get out there. They needed a bit of horticultural know-how, garden tags as well. Um, I also, I've, I've always been very lucky at following my instincts. And I think I, I think basically that's because I just say yes to everything, even mm-hmm. if it scares me. So it's kind of just, everything yeah. just evolved and fell into place. So um, as I came to the end of my time at Thompson & Morgan, there was then an offer to do some work for hsn in florida in the u.s through a vendor that i already knew so i guess i knew it was time to you know spread my wings because i wanted the mixed portfolio of work but also i had a good kind of uh, network of contacts across pr uh through the industry as well and i'd always used social media as a portfolio as well so it was a good way of kind of advertising who i was what i do and kind of i think that's maybe different to some people where they they do social media to kind of educate their followers, but kind of primarily mine is almost a showcase of work, which also interests followers because it gets them interested in different things. But really, my social media is really a visual CV almost, and that is what made it easy to then uh, kind of transmit, transmit, uh, trans, transit, transition yeah. into uh, kind of that freelance career, really, which kind of dovetailed with that same moment where there was a lot of newer horticultural companies that needed a bit of help so yeah it's been it's been amazing and the opportunities keep coming because of course i keep keep showing what i'm up to and and also fundamentally you know some really basic advice just just go in go in and do a good job you know a lot of people kind of i don't know they just they're either not reliable or they don't do as good a job as they could do or i don't know so i've just always been just try and be as nice a guy as possible, do what I'll say I do, deliver on time. Yeah, and just be easygoing and fun. And people seem to like that, I guess. So, yeah, here I am. 
Brilliant. Well, certainly looking at your... Now, what do you call it? Uh, a bit historic here. Hit the socials. Social, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got some lovely images. And uh, a moment ago, you meant, uh, mentioned seed balls. Mm. And now that's a product yeah. we've been selling here Three or four a years? good few years. years. Yeah. And I'm always amazed by how well it sells yeah. because uh, it just sort mm. of suddenly appeared. And mm. now, now you mention the fact that uh, you had something to do with it. It kind of makes a little bit more sense because I guess it's maybe the younger generation oh, no, I'm that not, I'm not laying claim for its success. <laughs> <laughs> but more the fact that it's one of these products that has come about, and it's obviously had a lot of uh, traction in mm. um, the social media sort of areas uh, of marketing, and maybe that's why it's so successful because it, it it's a really well, it's a fun little product, yeah. isn't it? And like, just like you're saying, Pete, it's probably found a new audiences or audiences have come to it because of its appeal. Um, just so. The other thing, Michael, I was going to say, I, I was looking back at my uh, Facebook feed this morning from seven years ago yeah. when I was watching you. Uh, you, were, you were Kirkenhoffing, I think you put on your, your album title, which was really good. So you're obviously out and about yeah. in Holland uh, seven years ago. So that you know, is, a, is a really good showcase of... Of you getting out there and yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and doing doing your stuff, I've which been, is I've been good. with KLM actually, so yeah, that was really great. Um, onto the seed ball, I think, I think the way it's packaged is really cool because it kind of fits into the gifting area as yeah. much as it mm. does into the kind of normal horticultural area. Um, again, kind of it's about good timing, I think, with that product as well, and and also rather than being a fancy name, it kind of says what it does on the tin as well, seed ball. Simple. Yeah. There you go. And That's it's in it. a tin. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really simple. Yeah. But no, it's a good little product. I've not tried one yet, but I certainly, the, the, the idea behind it and the marketing is, mm. uh, and it's, it's very perfect. clear and easy to mm. understand what you're going to get. So, yeah. Uh, oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. And it wouldn't be out of place in a shop that didn't even sell plants. No, it well, wouldn't. Not, not at know. all. No, it'd sit very comfortably, as you say, in the gift department. Uh, Michael, mm. you are a bit well. No, you are you are a major globe trotter these days, uh, and and we see you in many of the gardening trade shows. Um, why do you think these are so important to you as a go-to place? Well, that's where you see what's coming through, and I think um, I've always seen myself as with my kind of follower base and kind of the activity I do as kind of a conduit, really between the industry and the consumer because you know my followers will obviously a lot of consumers i get out there see a lot of things in the industry i then kind of pass on that knowledge to the consumers but also i can give the industry a bit of feedback from consumers because very often i i, I see so many links in the chain and nobody really ever talks directly to the consumer and it's kind of it's like chinese whispers sometimes it's like mm. what do the consumers really want well we we never really ask them we just kind of assume and kind of analyze and this and that let's get in front of them so i kind of like to be that conduit so that's why i like to get out there to trade shows not only to to educate myself because i love to learn you know even when i'm in holland i'll visit last week i was with amigra the grass nursery because i've wanted to learn about grasses you know how how do you propagate a whole nursery of pastuca for example you know so it's always learning and that is part of the trade show element as well obviously it's kind of in my roots to go there and look for new products as well so i I do write about a lot of this on my Substack, which is quite a new platform that I've been working with recently. So, yeah, it's just about getting out there kind of beneath the surface almost. And, and my recent work with IPM, I was really lucky to be invited to actually create coverage for them as well, almost as a roving reporter, as it were. And I'll be doing the same at Glee, actually, in June. So, yeah, it's just, um, again, it's about putting myself out there, advertising myself, because you know, put it this way, IPM would never have invited me to do this if they hadn't seen my work on social media. So, you know, ne never be shy, but also kind of um, to add to what I added as a few tips earlier, kind of obviously believe in yourself, but never take that over the line where you believe your own height, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But kind yeah. of obviously believe in yourself, say yes, do a good job, but don't don't get let it go to your head too much. You know, still stay humble and you know, because even when you say, oh, he's such a globetrotter, I'm like, well, I'm just doing stuff, you know. That's so kind of, yeah, I don't know what to say to that, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that explain it well, you know. It does indeed. Just, yeah, no, 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 no. Getting my... out there, that's it, yeah. <laughs>
and it must be very different now from having worked at, at Thompson and Morgan, which I guess, although you're doing a lot of travelling, was essentially a nine to five, to now being freelance and you're doing TV work <laughs> and you're doing all these social media posts and going out to companies and you know, un- trying to understand and publish what they're up to. It, yeah. How does that uh, how does that work for you? Is it an improvement in your life, or you find it a lot harder um, than it was before? <laughs> no, it's kind of a lot of plate spinning, but it is plate spinning uh, because you choose to. You know, yeah. I don't have to take on that level of work. I don't have to write about that nursery I went to. I don't even have to visit the nursery in the first place. But I'm doing it because I want to, mm. and because I'm passionate about it, and because I want to learn, I want to share, and so yeah, it's kind of plates that I'm really happy to spin and to be honest if there's ever you know that moment in kind of late November when I I don't know but in my part in my corner of the industry there's not too much happening and I'm kind of like oh 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 I wish there was I want to be busier I want to be kind of (laughs) complaining about being too busy you know that is kind of like the soft spot for me you know it's like oh I got too much on today well yeah but if it was the opposite you'd be bored so there you go yeah and so I kind of run on that kind of adrenaline and I'm really I really I'm heavy into to-do lists, but to-do lists that evolve and change and kind of not this endless to-do list that you never really tick off. So a to-do list that kind of moves from being in my phone reminders onto paper and sometimes back again, but it's just kind of agile. And I don't know, I just kind of roll with it. And I'm, I'm very happy to kind of do things on the spot, flex, pivot. If I know someone needs something now, then I'll kind of shift around and kind of try and, try and make everyone happy and you kind of yeah I don't know it kind of it seems to work really I don't I don't know if it's just because I'm very positive and so kind of good fortune falls on me because I kind of just I don't know I keep the faith and I just kind of say yes to stuff even when it scares me and it just then propels you forward to feel better more confident about yourself at the same time so yeah it's a balancing act that I'm really happy to to balance really and Brilliant. Every so often you need kind of like, uh, I've just had two kind of really heavy days of admin days and they've been good. And I, I was kind of almost panicking about those. But what I did, you know, late last week, I knew there was certain stuff I needed to do on Friday. There was certain stuff that could wait until Monday. And there was certain stuff that will wait till Tuesday. So rather than one to-do list, I've almost got like three in sequence. So yep. I'm not looking at one big list and being like, whoa, I'm looking <laughs> at one smaller list and I'm like, whoa, I can get that done in a Friday. That's cool. Move on to the Monday list. La, 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 la. So it's just about pace yourself. And I, and I really rely on phone reminders, <laughs> honestly. And that is also a clever way to stay reliable and get back to people when you say you will as well. Because yep. I think I surprise some people because they're kind of like, oh, can you get back to us mid next week? And to me, get back to you mid next week that is then imprinted in my head i'm like right okay wednesday i'll come back right 12 12 noon that is midweek and I, really, I can be really anal about that but it's what keeps you reliable and that is where an iphone is your best it's your best tool even even better than i don't know even better than a plant in your hands because that is what keeps you reliable and so those reminders you know i work with companies for different social media posts they always go out exactly when i say they will because You've got no excuse not to, really. We've got enough technology for you to be reliable, you know, and that is part of the secret to success, I believe. Yeah. Mm. So, so talking about reliable... Was that a bit of a rant? No, <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. No, you, no you, some really good positives Sorry, there. No. no, that's good. I'm, I'm sure we could all learn from some of those pointers, Michael, definitely. But, but uh, you know what, dude? It's so fundamental, though. Mm. That's the thing that yeah. amazes me. It's just about... Being a good person, being reliable, doing what you say you'll do. Mm-hmm. But the number of people that don't is shocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's what sets you apart. It's yeah. what gets you ahead. But it's, it's yeah. so bloody easy, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds weird. <laughs> so so let's just quickly talk about, well, your, your TV work. Um, obviously, you've, you've guested on lots of shows, but obviously you do lots of work on the, the shopping channel. Is that, that's, is that QVC? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm. Can you tell us how how you how that sort of evolved um, and sort of the sort of the, yeah. the, the process so, of doing that? Well, again, this was kind of from being pushed into doing it by my old boss, Paul Hansford, again. Right. But it, I'm always well, not pushed, but encouraged into it, and that's what I do to other people. I like to uplift people, make them feel like they can do stuff, and I really hate when people talk themselves down. So this is kind of obviously where I was in those days, but I was encouraged to do it because 
he knew I could do it. And ultimately, if you're talking about something that you know about and you're passionate about, it's actually really easy mm-hmm. because you're not trying to bluff it. You're not trying to make it up. It's coming from the heart. Mm-hmm. And that is when I'm standing up on TV, whether that's Steph's Pat Lunch, QVC this morning, I'm talking about plants because I love them. And because I've been the guy that goes out there and finds them as well. And that is what makes it easy and what makes it genuine as well. And so QVC has really evolved over the years. I was originally a guest for Thompson Morgan. Uh, it's now, I'm now the gardening expert there. We've now got extra shows on the extra channels every, every weekday as well. I'm on a Wednesday, five till seven. Uh, and those shows are evolving. There being a lot more customer interaction as well. Uh, showing a lot more of our own personalities and bringing in, you know, different trips that I've been on, kind of different images for those trips. And also this weekend, we're actually doing a live broadcast from Holland as well, which is really cool. So, mm. yeah, I'm kind of, I was lying in bed last night, kind of like, oh God, I feel a bit nervous about that, but also <laughs> excited because I, I know that we'll pull it off. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's sometimes the fear that a lot of people would feel and they wouldn't do it. But mm-hmm. yeah. you, you've got to push yourself, otherwise you'll never know. So, yeah. Yeah. It's been a really good um, experience and also something that gives you a lot of experience of live TV, gives you a lot of experience of talking on your feet and being able to evolve how you talk about something and change. And we said at the beginning, I said, I never edit a podcast and I don't really expect you to edit this because you're just talking, it's natural conversation and, it's just, and it just flows. Yeah, and it, it does give you a lot of experience with that. So I can talk forever now. <laughs> so uh, another 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> you, could give me, you could give me like a block of time and I could fill that time with kind of hopefully coherent chat. <laughs> I guess that must be part of your skill base though that you need to mm. do that sort of work because there must be set times to work within and this Absolutely, is a, yeah. sort of what you've got to achieve and it's a bit like when you listen to the radio mm. and... They always totally. manage to get the conversation to come to a sort of good close just before the news or whatever yeah. t- thing yeah. that happens. I mean, is is that a skill? Oh, totally. But there's a difference as well when people watch back what they've done. So if I was to watch back, you know, um, like a segment on QVC, I would be like, oh, why did I say that? What did I, what did I do that for? Oh God, what what was that word about? But when the viewer watches it, and indeed when you watch TV, do you listen to every word? Do you overanalyze every sentence? You don't because you kind of mostly watch passively. So you kind of, part of the key to it is getting over that first of all. But also the other thing which a lot of people don't realize you kind of have to do is like, yeah, we sell a range of different products. Not all that I would have in my own garden, but that is, that's realistic. And you, part of the job is putting yourself in the shoes of people that would have that plant in their garden or that accessory. And you cannot, you're not pretending that you like everything, but you are putting yourself in the space of, you know, helping people that would enjoy those things as well. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of feel they couldn't do that. And where they kind of uh, put too much of their personal opinion into that type of work as well. And it's kind of, it's about putting yourself in lots and lots of different people's shoes as well, as well as sharing what it's like to be in your own shoes as well. Mm-hmm. They, they reckon um, there's there's lots of new gardeners out there, uh, Michael, we know that. Mm. The, the HTA, uh, Horticultural Trade Association, reckon that there's over 2 million more uh, gardeners than that started back in the, before the pandemic, back in 2020. Uh-huh. Um, what would be yeah. your sort of nugget advice for any new aspiring gardeners uh, coming to the fold? Oh, gosh. Um, do you know what, though? It's, it's funny you say that, because I've just been on a forest retreat that Ellen Mary had uh, arranged in the forest, and and spending like two days with a lot of people that were kind of younger than me, but so passionate about horticulture. It's so interesting because they do come at it from a much more accessible angle, almost mm-hmm. more accessible than we do as older people as well. So I think kind of the advice is kind of almost quite basic, kind of like almost each to their own. You know, we can't assume that everyone wants to garden the way we do. And, and you know, over the years, everyone kind of, you know, discusses gardeners world and they're kind of like, oh, is this really appealing to this, this and this? And it's like, well, to be fair to the program, it might not be your cup of tea, but it can't bend to be everyone's cup of tea. And that is what it is. And maybe then different people learn from different places. And, you know, there are a lot of different outlets and your outlet might almost be an individual person on Instagram that makes videos about their garden. And that might be who you learn from. 
rather than an official TV programme on the terrestrial channel. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to kind of realise that, that everyone learns in very different ways from very different people as well. And I think just generally to take the snobbishness out of it and kind of allowing it to be accessible to everyone is really the key. So really, yeah, not not overlay, not labouring kind of, you know, Latin terms of kind of you must do this this way. It's kind of mm-hmm. just letting people find out for themselves almost to a degree. I don't know. It's kind of just about being a bit more laissez-faire in a way. Although I know in horticulture, we kind of, over the years, we've tended to get a chip on our shoulders. I think this, I think this comes from it being quite undervalued as a sector and a career. So we kind of then become quite protectionist about it almost. Mm. And then we're kind of then protecting our knowledge, kind of like really kind of being quite venomous about the value of our knowledge as well. Mm. So we then don't want to share it openly. We kind of, we want to bring new people in, but we also don't because we don't want them to dilute it. So it's kind of, I think it's about us just chilling a bit and realizing, realizing that everyone will pro- approach it in a very different way. And we, we can't micromanage that, you know, because if we do, We'll never let the new people in, you know? Yeah. Does that make so sense? It does indeed. Yeah. And, I, and I think also now with yeah, social media, but also with things like YouTube, which obviously has been around for, for many years now, people are accessing knowledge in so many different ways. Um, you know, they might watch Gardener's World, um, but that might, you know, give them a spark of inspiration to, to discover more. But as you're saying, uh, yeah. you know, things like... And it, that doesn't have to be for everyone, no, you know? indeed. And certainly it's not part of your membership as a gardener that you have to watch it. I think... I think generally, and I see this sometimes on the Instagram kind of uh, kind of horticultural world, it's like everyone feels they have to do the same thing, and you don't at all, you know. It's just do what you do. I mm. certainly do. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, I must say, you know, sort of talking about the you know, sort of modern learning methods, the, the only thing that amuses me sometimes is that uh, you, you put on these shorts on youtube and yeah. so many of them are just utter rubbish like how to grow seeds on a potato because it's going to grow better or just yeah. stuff yeah. like that yeah. and uh, it mm. does it, I, mean, I don't know why people put those sort of things up i i guess <laughs> they're too much time on their hands maybe i don't know uh, yeah. yeah do you do you find that sort of has a negative impact on any of the things that you've been doing or do you think people are well, wise enough to actually realise that, yeah, this is just rubbish? <laughs> I guess, again, and this uh, this might sound quite hands-off, but again, you you can't micromanage everything, do you know what I mean? And it's kind of, I think people will naturally gravitate towards the better quality stuff anyway, in a natural <laughs> way, and you can't, you can't worry about what is wrong out there. Let's just focus on what is right out there, I guess. Yeah, so I kind of just, I don't know, I guess it just kind of glosses over me, as it were. So, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I guess that's it, really. I guess I'm not too, I don't get too hung up on it almost. And I know that some people kind of would worry about that. But, you you know, we have social media, the internet is, it's a platform that everyone can access. You're always going to have this problem. And you're kind of always going to be fighting the misinformation here and there. But it's kind of like it is a losing battle. And hopefully we've got enough kind of good information that that, false information or bad information kind of generally long term kind of get drowned out by the noise of all the good stuff so yeah yeah, yeah definitely um michael i, I would i've been reading uh, nick hamilton's uh, book that's the late jeff hamilton's son uh it's the book oh, called yeah. the called the right genes and he said in his uh, in his, his wonderful book horticulture is a life choice it's not a job <laughs> uh so i suppose that begs the question michael what drives you yeah, Ooh. that's really interesting because it is indeed when you've got your passion as a career, it doesn't it doesn't then feel like a job. But I guess maybe maybe someone who's a vet would have a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe an accountant, their passion is finance. They would they would feel the same thing. So it's about choosing for your career the same thing that you have as a hobby. But also, uh, just before I answer your question, that also obviously has downfalls because you know when I am here, kind of like with a full to do list realizing that every day is a potential work day because you know obviously i then work weekends but even if i wasn't working weekends i would still be visiting gardens or garden centers which is still technically then kind of work as well so obviously if you are going to have a passion that links to your career remember you won't necessarily get any true downtime as Mm -hmm. it were um 
What was your original question, though? I had to, I had to <laughs> so, have that wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what sort of? What, yeah. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? it? It is wisdom and 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 doing what you enjoy doing, certainly. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So it's um, it is about just following your passion and knowing mm. that you love what you do. Really. Yeah. Exactly. But also, you know, chatting to a lot of people at the weekend at the forest retreat is. I'm amazed at how many people have a good presence on Instagram. They have a business that is selling plants or doing this and that. And then I sit down to chat to them. I'm like, this is actually their side hustle. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And they like, I don't know how people manage to have that kind of like, like almost like dual careers as well. That takes a lot mm. of energy and commitment. But I guess their passion for plants is kind of then coming through there. But maybe the reason they're not jumping into it as a full-time career is because of that perception of the kind of lower wage or kind of the, the less kind of uh, comprehensive nature of horticulture as a career choice. But, yeah. you know, in what I do, I want to show people that you can, you, you can have great success. You can aim high. You can, you can earn good money. You can have a job that is really quite different to what you might expect from horticulture as well. You know, there's something for everyone in this industry. Mm. And I think, like you said, ultimately, it's if you can find a career that makes you happy because you're passionate about that, happy, well, yeah. that's far more fulfilling than just going off to work and earning a, a wage for something that you don't really enjoy. And I mean, that's something that one of the things I love about working in the garden centre industry is the fact that we get to move around, we get to go outside, we get to... Oh, I, I mean, you think you're looking at plants oh. and you're it's analyzing, just them, uh, yeah. checking that everything's okay, and making mm. sure that you're trying to sell the best plants ever. It's a mm. lovely career, and I think if you can enjoy what you do, it it makes life so much more fun, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, there's, but I mean, these days more than ever, you can follow that career path because. You know, social media has opened up so many extra possibilities, networking. You know, this weekend that I've been on, you know, to see the friendships that have risen up through, you know, meeting each other on Instagram. And some of those people say, you know, I enjoy these friends better than I do my original childhood <laughs> friends. Because suddenly, but suddenly you've got friends and contacts that aren't more natural because they're following that same passion mm. that you are as well. Yeah, don't underestimate it. It's, when I was a 16-year-old horticulturist, just beavering away in my own greenhouse at home imagine if i'd had instagram or social media to reach out and other people you know it would have been amazing so advice to any young people these days is kind of you know reach out share make friends you know push yourself forward because you know we have the best tool ever in horticulture right now and it's amazingly not even a trowel it's social media you talk about obviously growing up and uh, were there any heroes or sort of big influences in your life Michael that you can remember inspiring you about horticulture obviously your grandparents played a big role in that I should imagine was there any we talked about Gardener's World were you into Gardener's World and Jeff Hamilton or who inspired you I would say um, uh, definitely my grandparents for sure I wouldn't say, if you asked me for the, for the present day, I'd say there wouldn't be anyone necessarily influencing me in this present day because I kind of just, I don't like to worry about what other people are doing. I just kind of follow my own path there. But indeed, if we go back to childhood, it would be that kind of garden as well kind of selection of people. So the ones that were in the magazines on the shows at that time, which was obviously Jeff, but also Pippa Greenwood and Swiven Banks still when when I was working with her at the Cactus Show, it's kind of such a weird thing to then work mm-hmm. with someone that you've read about in magazines when you were young. It's really, it's so strange and you kind of never get over it, which is <laughs> which is like the level of cringe that I imagine a lot of people would be if they met Mariah Carey, for example. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you like? Oh, I love your work. It's like you kind of desperately want to stay cool, but you also want to let them know yeah. how much it means to you as well. Cool. Yeah. Bear in mind, it might not mean as much to them because they probably met 4,000 people like him. You know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, you have to be realistic about yeah. it. But yeah, it's kind of, that would be my kind of influences, I would say. And yeah, really nice, warm, warm memories of childhood with looking forward to the Garden as Well magazine and the TV show and kind of, because that was the only outlet at that point, really. So that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And uh, Michael, could we just sort of chat a little bit about your, your, your charity work? You're obviously involved in quite a number. 
Yeah, so over the years, I'd worked with Perennial. Uh, we had the Grubby Gardeners campaign, which was basically a really cool way to get naked to raise money. Um, so we basically did a World Naked Gardening Day shoot at Kensington Roof Gardens originally. That moved into a calendar, a, f- a few different calendars. I think the calendar still happens. We raised about 25 grand for Perennial. Uh, we were on Loose Women once doing Naked Gardening Tips. Uh, we did Muddy Runs as well. Skydive, naked skydive in a, in a morph suit, not necessarily naked. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of fun stuff because I guess a while ago I tapped into, you know, wanting to get people interested in horticulture from lots of different sectors. And that could be from uh, cookery, you know, chefs. It could be artists. It could be people that like to laugh at cheeky plants and rude botany and kind of rubus anus or kind of naked <laughs> gardens. Kind of, trying to pull people from all of those different sectors to bring them into our amazingly fascinating world that we have in horticulture so it was really yeah kind of a project in that really and and also it's it's cool to then have these things that people know you for as well but also that's why i gave it up because you don't want to be known as the naked gardener forever yeah Yeah. (laughs) leave that to the calendar girls shall we yeah (laughs) but it's a bit of fun and somehow Mm. there's this kind of like river of smut that runs through horticulture Mm. anyway (laughs) you know we're pretty out with sowing seed we're planting sarcococca you know it's kind of and it's a great way to get people's attention and that's kind of what it was always a vehicle for for me mm. and there's nothing wrong with a double entendre is there excellent and michael you talked about herbs earlier uh, obviously going out and finding all these you know, wonderful new plants that you've bought to the market have you got any sort of yeah. favorite group of plants or a, a favorite plant I would say iris, uh, because I remember painting an iris on a stone for my grandma when I was young. Okay, uh, okay. So it has a also it's a really interesting plant where you've probably got every colour of the rainbow, one for every season, very different looking ones as well. So I'd say yeah, whenever whenever anyone asks me a favourite plant, that is my easy answer. Fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. It's a beautiful flower as well. I love Fantastic. it. It's, yes. It is, yeah. yeah. And they have, and, and they have. I'm going to say they have their moment, don't they? That's the thing, as you're saying, all the year round. Obviously, I, my, I think yeah. About yeah. Of course, yeah. there's one for every season, really, yeah. and every position. To think about it. For sure. Yeah. Um, Michael, do, do you have any sort of sage advice for encouraging younger people to get involved in horticulture? Yeah. Well, I think I kind of touched on this a little mm. bit earlier. We've kind of get get out there, use social media, kind of realize that. You know, in my day, we didn't have that as a tool to be able to use. And yeah, like more than ever, you can reach out to like-minded people. And this is just beautiful because you never, you'd never feel alone now in horticulture. You know, think of, think of all those lonely head gardeners that have now been able to reach out to people. You know, there's so much potential. Don't, don't let it, don't waste it really. You know, just do that. And when you do get a job or work on something, just then, be reliable, turn up on time, all of that basic stuff that we talked about, you know, do it, do a good job and, and enjoy it all, you know. It seems basic, but it makes a lot of sense. No, definitely. And I guess as we're coming to the end of the show, we get to ask our favourite questions. Every every guest we've asked so far, we'd like to put them on a desert, a virtual desert island, Michael. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and ask, what, what plant or gardening implement would you take with you to your desert island and why? Uh, I don't need a gardening implement because I think, I think your hands are good enough for digging and all of that. So I don't need an implement. Okay. Uh, does, does that mean I can take two plants, maybe? <laughs> you can take whatever you yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're quite... <laughs> we're available. <laughs> Well, one plant would be a uh, plant that I'm kind of low-key obsessed with at the moment, which is Arimaphila nevea. And it's amazing. It's hardier than I realized. It's lovely silverly. It's, it's like a rosemary that's been splashed with silver, and it has even brighter, bigger flowers than a rosemary. Really, really incredible plant. Um, I guess I have to have a food plant as well. I don't know, mint. I love mint. Okay. It's an easy one to grow, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. No, well, it's always good for a mojito on a desert island oh, as well. Gosh, yeah, that'd be a nice combination. And Michael, we, we do um, like to ask our guests if they have any uh, related gardening uh, stories, amusing or a joke perhaps you'd like to share with us. Uh, I think probably my saddest story I can tell you is um, when I was young, I 
for some reason, we rooted some Travis Cantia plants at school, and I took it home to plant it into the garden. I don't know why. Which was, it was a Travis, you know, a training one. Okay. And I turned around to plant the plant, and I stood on it, and it's one of my saddest, earliest gardening memories. Oh, and yeah. I, I don't I stood on it too much that it would regrow. So, yeah, that was my saddest memory. I'm so sorry to end on that, but it's brought back all sorts of memories now. <laughs> sounds, yeah, yeah. sounds quite quite uh, traumatic oh, to be problem. honest with you. I'm not. You've seen a um, uh, spider plant used as bedding. Uh, mm. were, were you hoping it would make a sort of good border plant, or what were you hoping <laughs> out of it? I don't know at that age, but at this age, I definitely would love to imitate it. In Brilliant! Yeah. Thank you. And uh, you. obviously, no. <laughs> Probably the, the the people who are listening to this are probably already savvy enough to know where to find you. But uh, for those of us that um, haven't got that interactive with social media yet, can you give us some uh, pointers as to where we can find out more about you, Michael? Absolutely. So you'll find me on Instagram, Twitter, Mr. Underscore Plant Geek. Uh, I've also got a comprehensive website called MrPlantGeek.com, which okay. will give you all of those I mentioned, but it will also take you to my different social media platforms too. I'm getting quite into Substack, so look me up on there, uh, Mr. Plant Geek as well, where I write about a lot of my new plant findings, etc., etc. So yeah, looking okay. forward to seeing you there. Nice one. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Thanks. thank you so much for coming on today. It's been great, hasn't it? great chatting yeah. with you. No worries. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we'll look forward to following your, your adventures uh, around the world or in Holland. Uh, over the next uh, <laughs> next few years. So thank you for your time and uh, sure. k- keep on keep on doing what you're doing, Michael. You're doing a grand job. Thank you very much. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.